The death of George Floyd at the hands of US police sparked global protests over systemic persistent racism in society. So what's to be done to stamp out racism and prejudice in our workplaces? I'm Nigel Cassidy and this is the CIPD podcast. That shocking video of Mr Floyd's last moments has raised deep concerns and the issues it's brought to the surface are very close to home. The Black Lives Matter movement only underlined a desperate need for us to properly educate ourselves, to look beyond the all-too-familiar box-ticking exercises, to look deeper and start tackling the all-too-persistent bias in our workplaces. All the surveys show that it's leaving people of colour underemployed and underpromoted. So what do we do next? Well, joining me on this month's very timely CIPD podcast, we're delighted to be joined by the organisational psychologist, best-selling author John Amechi. He leads whole teams of psychologists, behavioural scientists and business strategists helping clients deal with people challenges that get in the way of an organisation's performance. And another entry in his CV is also a former NBA player. Hi, John. Hello. We've Bernadette Thompson. She's Deputy Director at the Ministry of Housing, Communities and Local Government here in the UK. She's held a wide range of roles supporting the government, notably uh, involving senior diversity and inclusion roles. Hello to you. Hi, hello. And we've been a Candola, also a diversity specialist. He co-founded the book Racism at Work, The Danger of Indifference, and co-founded the business psychology firm Pern Candola. Hi, Binna. Hi, uh... Now, John, if I can start with you, uh, professionally, I guess we pretend not to see race, don't we? Well, probably privately too. We like to think that our, our procedures, our diversity and inclusion policies have taken bias out of the equation. But clearly, we've seen from events that isn't so. Yes. I'm, I mean, I think it's one of the most dangerous things that we do. The, the concept of the colorblind society is so convenient um, it helps us to imagine that the, by simply ignoring something existed will somehow make its impact immaterial. Um, and and that's, that, that to me is one of the big challenges because we're not dealing with, with just the problem of people who are overtly biased, the people who are, in this case, overtly racist. If the challenge for us all was simply the men, and it is normally men, who run through the streets yelling the N-word, then we wouldn't have a big problem to deal with. Because that is, is the kind of behavior that a blunt instrument can deal with. The problem we have is well-meaning people who do not realize and are unwilling to embrace the wince and the discomfort of recognizing that um, something we've seen in the last few weeks, the number of people who said, oh, it's so difficult to talk to black people. It's so difficult to talk about race. And they don't realize the implication of that is the fact that they have spent 30, 40, 50 years never, ever creating a relationship with even one black person that gives them access to their experience. That's what we're trying to deal with. Well-meaning people who have been under-equipped and purposefully myopic about race. And all the while, Bernadette Thompson, laws and changing social norms have really helped to make kind of overt, blatant racism unacceptable, in principle anyway. So how come we haven't made progress? Why aren't all the things we put in place working? So I think for me, it's about changes led by leaders. Uh, Cultural changes occur across organisations. And again, it's looking at the diversity of organisations. 
So what I've said is we've been able to make some progress, in, indeed much progress on the gender agenda, because it, it, it comes to our leaders' doors. It's either going to relate to their mother, it's going to relate to their sister, it's going to relate to um, their daughter. So they get that. But when it comes to issues around race, it doesn't come to leaders' doors in the UK. We are not diverse at the higher levels in most of our organisations. Um, in the last couple of weeks, I've been using the analogy of the Guinness glass, uh, where black at the bottom and white on top. We definitely, in order to make progress, we need to have a latte across our organisations. So for me, it's about why we haven't made this progress, despite all the reports, despite all the inquiries, despite all the publications that we have out there, is that it isn't something that keeps most of our leaders up at night, doesn't come near their doors. When we have diversity at the top, I feel that urgency will be there. And, you know, it, it just shows the failings in the systems of actually gr gripping this and dealing with this. It doesn't, doesn't come to people's doors. Well, you mentioned all those reports which have come out. And after current events, certainly in the UK, we're going to have, uh, Binacandola, yet another report. Do you think that's going to make any difference to the pace of change, for example, in the workplace? It's not the reports, it's actually what you do with the actions and the recommendations in the reports. And the problem has been that the various kind of investigations that have been carried out have made lots of recommendations and how many of those have actually been, been implemented. Uh, I mean, that's, that's the nub of it. And if, if people start taking action, we, we actually know what action we should be taking. Um, and another report is not necessarily going to make much difference. It's the, it's the motivation to do something. Well, let's just get a bit more of a handle on what we're talking about here. I mean, the 2020 Parker Review showed 59% of FTSE 350 companies uh, don't meet the target of having at least one director of colour on their boards. Eight companies accounted for nearly 25% of the directors of colour. But uh, I guess this has a lot to do, uh, Bina, with what happens lower down in organisations. It happens much lower down. We, we, we know, I mean, the research shows actually that uh, uh, just take graduates it takes longer for a minority graduate to get a job and once they're in a job uh, the the pay gap between the minority graduates um, uh, minority graduates and their white peers actually widens as soon as three and a half years into employment so which actually is an indication that career development opportunities are being given to others but not to them not to minorities so, John, we clearly have this unconscious bias people like to talk about. You talked about well-meaning people not getting the point. Can you kind of talk us through a bit more how it happens and what the impact is on talented people of colour who are overlooked and unpromoted? Well, I am, uh, I suppose, famously spiky and controversial in that I don't think that unconscious bias is a thing. The unconscious is a thing. I get that. Um, that's a psychological concept. Bias is a thing. But what we're talking about here is actual stuff that lives out in the real world. When someone, when I'm walking down the street and someone crosses the street when they see me, the process in their mind may be invisible to me, but the act of crossing the street is not unconscious. That, that is a part of a process. And in workplaces, it's even more so. When you look at the differential in work allocation for minority candidates versus non-minority candidates, and when you look and you see a bench of people who is mostly women and minorities versus the people who are actively engaged in projects with, with senior people, 
and you see that that's a homogenous white group that looks like the partner. That's not happened accidentally. That has happened because people like the familiar and the similar because they find it easier. The, the, the process of the lack of inclusion in workplaces is a function of a choice for personal comfort over organizational performance. Make no bones about it. This is not about niceness or being good to black people. It's really important. And I think in the workplaces, the challenge we face right now is that even as we are approaching this problem, and none of the people on this panel are part of this problem, but when we look at workplaces, we still approach minorities and their progress from a deficit model perspective. Mm. The idea that, you know what women need when they arrive in a business, women need assertiveness training so that they can speak up in meetings. And then five years later, they need de-assertiveness training so they don't frighten the other men in their business, right? And for black people, the same problem. What do they need? What are they missing? Well, perhaps we should stop armoring minorities with interventions and instead detoxify the environments that they are existing in. It's amazing to me that we're still talking about inclusion and every initiative is targeted at the people who are the recipients of bias rather than the people who are the deliverers of it, even if that is through microaggressions and other sophisticated mechanisms. Okay, well, there is a lot to think about here. Bernadette Thompson, what can we do practically? You're, of course, responsible for many people's working lives. Kind of talk me through situations that arise with people because of these background deficits in how we treat people, in what we understand. So it's employee experience, and that is what wears people down. Um, linked in absolutely to what John was saying about the deficit model. So as an employee, if you are constantly being given some very shabby pieces of work in compared to uh, someone um, who you, you believe is on equal footing, that's the same, you know, that person, you know, those microaggressions, they're really subtle. And sometimes, you know, you actually don't realise instantly that, you know, you're being kind of sidelined. So if you have continually applied for positions, 10, 20. Um, I was speaking someone, uh, to someone today and they said, look, I have been in this organisation for 35 years. I am tired. I can't do this anymore. And that is where the system grinds you down. And it's not that uh, people from a BAME background are less intelligent. Far from it. We are super resilient. But there comes a time where you have tried and you have tried so hard that you either resign to the fact that, you know what, it's not going to happen for me in this organisation. And sadly, what you find is a lot of BAME employees just leave to go somewhere else. But sadly, when they go to that somewhere else, the culture is pretty much... Um, the same. So it's absolutely a vicious cycle. It is systemic. It is in the workforce and we can't deny it. And what really annoys me is that we are able to grapple some really difficult things. We were able to stand up the Nightingale Hospital just like that. This isn't difficult, guys. Why haven't we solved this problem? So, Bina Candola, let's take a step further and think about the, the rather complex work situations that people professionals find themselves having to sort out. I'm thinking of a particular situation I came across, which was where a black colleague was promoted by top management to a role that they did actually find quite difficult and some of the performance targets weren't being met. Now, others in the organisation started getting resentful, thinking that they should have got the job. And then outside campaigners took up the cause of the individual. There were accusations of racism starting to be made. And then, of course, it all gets very complicated. And swirling about this and scenarios like it is that awful phrase that you hear that some people use, 
the race card. Yeah, oh, there's so much there. You, there's so much to untangle there. <laughs> just take, yeah, just, I'll, I'll take the bits, I, and I'll probably forget some bits of what you said, but the first part uh, about uh, people in the organisation saying they've, they've got that job and it's a kind of a tokenistic thing, that, that if you want to increase a bias in organisations, in society, you increase competition. So the scarce resources, so in this case, a promotion, uh, you give it to a minority, look what's happening. Uh, they're being, it's reverse discrimination and that they're getting, they're not getting the job on merit anymore. I have been discriminated against. In addition to that, but back to some of the points that Bernadette was making and, and uh, John was also alluding to actually, is that one of the things we know about minorities and organizations is that they are more likely to be criticized and less likely to be praised. In fact, some research has shown that they are more likely to be criticized and never be praised. And so just imagine but working in an environment where you're getting no affirmation uh, about uh, the quality of work that you're doing, which starts sapping your confidence. Uh, so then you, you move into a role where nobody's, everybody's looking at you, everybody's criticizing you, and then your confidence starts to seep, and then you get no support. And it's this, it's this kind of, it's these quiet words that people have, you know, uh, don't let it get you down, you'll be fine, you'll pull your way through it. You got this job because you're, you're, um, you're the best person for the job. There's no way that you can't do this role now. That, those quiet words last few seconds, a uh, few seconds a week can make all the difference between somebody feeling good in the role and not not feeling good in the role. And the point about the race card is that's just such a great way of turning the situation around. So if somebody makes a complaint about racism in the organization, we think that racism no longer exists, right? So that's the subtitle of my book, The Danger of a Difference. So there's a belief that racism no longer exists. So you then make a complaint about racism. So you've now made a complaint about something that's not there. So you've now made it up. Uh, and it must be in your head. And so you're playing the race card. And that, that phrase, very quickly and very neatly, the perpetrator, be the, the perpetrator becomes a victim, the victim becomes a perpetrator. Like that, the, you're playing the race card. And all of a sudden, the sympathy, whatever sympathy, whatever sympathy there may have been, is now with the perpetrator. John Amici, I can see you waving your arms. I think you want to come in on this one. I'm particularly interested to know how you unravel complex situations like this in companies and how you actually try and get those who are involved to learn from the experience. I don't think it's necessarily that complex. I, I, I think people fail to recognise that what we're talking about here is a fundamental misunderstanding of what race is. We, we, we forget that it's a social construct, not a biological or genetic construct. We're not a different species um, as black people. And I think that's where you have to start. I mean, I, I tell people I literally am more likely to be stopped and searched in the summertime than in the wintertime. And that is simply a product of the fact that I go a glorious dark mahogany in the sun. Mm -hmm. And that means that I'm more likely to, be, to look like a threat, apparently, to people because I'm darker. So in our workplaces, it's not really that complex. What Binna just described is, is just the, the ultimate reversal, the way to make somebody who is making a legitimate claim look like they're a perpetrator. What we have to do in workplaces is be honest about the status quo first, right? One of the things, the questions I ask companies is, are you a meritocracy? And it's really important to have this conversation when you're talking about inclusion, because 
if organizations believe they're a meritocracy, then they look exactly as they're supposed to look. There is no point in arguing about that. If they're a meritocracy, the very best people are in the spot that they're supposed to be right now. So if you have a board that is all men, if you have a, a senior leadership group that is all men and all white, that is exactly how it's supposed to look. We need to address that meritocracy idea because if we do that, until we do that, everything that is tried in, in the case of inclusion becomes a case of, of kind of tipping up the cart. It, it's unfair. It's, it's positive discrimination. When you realize that we're not in a meritocracy, then what's being done is about justice. And that is harder to argue with, even if you are a sophisticated bigot. Sure. And it's certainly a time, Bernadette, for self-reflection. I mean, we're all trying to learn from this. And one thing I've taken from recent events is to maybe slightly rethink what I understand by the term white privilege. I mean, this is not really just about uh, having wealth inherited or otherwise, or having an uncle that puts in a word for you. It's about recognising some of these many reasons. We've heard some of them today, why people of colour hit barriers and don't get the breaks. Absolutely. So I think, you know, I, I was watching uh, the Channel 4 uh, programme recently about the kids uh, and racism. And, you know... Or oh, the school that tried to end racism. I saw that. Fascinating. Absolutely. It was a fascinating programme. And just the, the expression on the children's faces when they were about to take this race. Um, and then some certain questions were asked um, from all the children and so a certain group of children by virtue of nothing they had done but just their lifestyle and how they had been fortunate to live their life were able to step forward and you could see the children at the back that I, I haven't done anything I'm sure I could whoop that person you know in a race but I have no chance because they're already in front. And that's just explaining it. And just going back to what John was saying about the deficit model and touching on what Bina was saying. So you come into an organisation, you identify with the organisation, you're proud that you're there. But the reality is meritocracy doesn't exist. So then you say, OK, let me see what I can do. I'll go on a development scheme. And then you get on the development scheme and then you finish that and, you know, you apply for a few jobs, nothing happens. Well, let me try that talent scheme. And then you go on a talent scheme. Then you have a conversation with someone after an interview and they say, oh, you were nearly there. But you know what? Maybe if you do this qualification. So you go and do this qualification and then you, you end up and a lot of our ethnic minorities within the workplace They've gone on every talent scheme under the sun. They've got the qualifications under the sun, sun. But what is missing and what we don't talk about a lot is the reality of the, the, the network. It is about the network. Who knows you? Who knows what you can do? So there's something for me about our senior leaders who are non-BAME widening their network and diversifying their networks. So if we ask the top table in so many organisations, how many BAME people do you actually know, do you actually hang out with? Mention the top 10. You probably won't get many people able to mention. And Bernadette, when you say BAME, you are, of course, talking about black, Asian and minority ethnic people. John, you want to come in on this? I think we should be able to say to mature leaders in organisations, do you want to win? Do you want the very best brain? Whatever the package that it comes in, do you want the best brain or not? Are you willing to deal with some personal discomfort in order to have their, their brilliance? And I, I'm just never sure why in, a, in an environment like this where the world can be turned upside down by a tiny string of protein, 
why you wouldn't want the very, very, very best people who could give you the prescience and insight and smarts to win, if just, just at the sacrifice of a little bit of, of new insight. So if that's the case, Binakandola, is it appropriate to ask BAME colleagues to educate you, to tell you where you're going wrong? Or is that your own job? I think it's, I mean, if you, it needs to be part of a conversation. So if you, if you talk to your colleagues about questions you may have, but there's lots of ways you can educate yourself. And there are lots of ways we could have educated ourselves. I've had, and I'm sure Bernadette and John have had messages from people saying, uh, I have a question here, can you answer this? And I, I do answer, I have answered them. And I will, I do, and I'm, I, I continue to answer them. But I do end up saying, you know, there are resources out there you can, they're called books. You can pick one up and have a read. Um, and so rather than asking me the quite kind of quite, sometimes quite basic questions. And these are people I've not met for a long time either. But it goes back to John's point, actually, is that I, I think I might be the only minority person they've met in the last five or six years. And I asked, they asked these questions. I thought, oh, um, I don't, part of me doesn't mind, but part of me just kind of think you could go to a bit more effort and ask a more sophisticated question based on something that you've read. So it, it's a balance. So I'm happy to talk, but put some effort in. Bernadette, what's your take on that? <laughs> um, so I'm, a, oh my goodness, I'm not as tolerant as, you know, um, in, in this particular space. So as Bina was saying, there, there's lots, there's lots out there. There's lots out there for people um, to consider. And I just feel that, look, if you want to learn about anything, their books, their resources, there is something for me about um, um, the minority. And there's enough stress as a minority why do I have to start explaining to you what it's like to be a minority? So, you know, I'm less sympathetic uh, 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 than Binna. Over these last few weeks, I have been inundated with requests. And, you know, it sometimes makes you get quite grumpy. You know, go and get resource. Go and watch a film. There's so much out there. It's not like in the, in the 40s and in the 50s. There is stuff. You know, you're inundated with stuff out there, their books, their blogs. So I just think people, if you want to make the effort, you know, have a read and then come to me from a place of, I read this. Can we have a discussion? I will be more, more open to that than for you to kind of say, um, hi, Bernadette, what do you think about this? I'll probably give you a couple of books to read first. Just to add to that, Nigel, just to the, 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 um, I think the, the other sense of frustration is kind of get, kind of feel like saying to people sometimes, I did tell you. I did tell you a few years ago and you took no notice. I told you, I told, I told you three months ago and you took no notice. So, so actually, the, the, there's, a, there's, a, there's kind of a history to this as well. So people aren't just saying, I don't want to educate you. It's actually, I think what, 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 what you're hearing is people saying, you know what, I tried and you weren't bothered. Uh, what's different now? And I guess John's going to give anybody short shrift if they ask him that same question. I have spent the last three weeks educating people who've just discovered there's racism. So um, <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is part of my job and I do it so other people don't have to do it. And that's important. There is actually a more sinister element to this when you think about it in terms of getting the best out of people into, inside a company. We... When you, I talked to somebody in a company who'd been there for 18 years and he said, this is the first time a senior person has talked to him about his experience. 
there is something quite sinister about being able to be inside a company for 18 years and only when they need your insight for reputational protection do they come to you. Mm. Black people aren't libraries and they aren't librarians necessarily. Okay, so let's try and have a few practical suggestions then. How can we start to tool up managers, people managers, so that they can start stopping the behaviours that get in the way of this better performance and this inclusive work environment we all want to see? So who wants to start with that one, Bernadette? We have so many strategies within the UK, it's unbelievable. What we're talking about isn't new. We just need, you know, I was having a presentation the other day about some of this stuff, and I actually lifted up all the action from 2016. And I was like, look, guys, if we do the 2016 ones, we will really make progress. We know what to do. Within organizations, we've got diversity strategies coming out of our ears. We've got race action plans coming out of our ears. What we need to do is pick three things, do those three things, go to the next, do those three and go to the next and hold our leaders to account. I remember a few years ago, one of our permanent secretaries, Dame uh, Suowen, said, you know what, if we start linking this to performance-related pay uh, of our most senior leaders, some people might sit up and actually have a laser focus on some of this. Um, so I just think we know what to do. Let's hold our leaders to account. It might well be, you know, it's tied to a couple of their bonus or two, but we know what to do. This stuff isn't new. Dust the strategy that you did in 2000 and start taking action and start holding leaders to account. That's my that's my view. Bina, we've just heard clearly from Bernadette that we should just do them, but some people think that we have the diversity rules and initiatives and we are doing them. Well, some of the, some of the things that we're being asked to do aren't very good either. Uh, I mean, I think when you introduced the, the session, you talked about box ticking, Nigel, uh, and some of the boxes being asked to tick are actually just totally irrelevant and some of them are very misguided. So there, there's, there's, I've seen it several times now in a number of um, organisations' policies that we're going to have we're going to try and have diverse panels so for interviews, diverse panels for interviews, because it's, it's, it's an easy thing to do and we get a diverse interview panel together. And what the research shows is that the, uh, you've got a diverse untrained panel and a trained panel of white men. The group that will make the fairest and best decisions are the trained panel. So, and yet we're jumping to this superficial kind of argument. You get a diverse panel together, it'll make things, it'll be, it'll be a, a silver bullet for it. So it isn't, it's training. And training, and, and tra but training takes longer. And it's kind of typical of the thinking. We want something very quick without actually thinking. So some of the boxes we're being asked to tick make no difference because they never would. And there's a, I think in terms of a CIPD podcast, I think the HR profession itself needs to do a, a lot of self-reflection. We did a survey two years ago, 1,500 people, 60% of black people, 42% of Asian people said they experienced racism in the workplace. 20% of those experienced physical and verbal abuse. So like John was saying, some of this was just horrible. Uh, the least effective action they could take, the least effective action they could take was reported to HR. Less about 20% of people said it was effective action. 20% of people who took that action said it was effective. So actually, it was the worst effect, it was the worst action anybody could take. So actually, there is a degree of self-reflection about the HR profession itself and the way it responds to these issues. So, John, how could HR improve its performance here? Um, it has to stop thinking that interventions are the solution. Um, individual behaviour and and a codified expectation, a clear and codified expectation of behavior of colleagues and leaders 
is the answer most of the time, right? So people who are even allies now, they want to jump into an intervention. Ooh, can I get involved in reverse mentoring? Ooh, it's like these things exist because you aren't doing the stuff that you do with white people, with black people. That's why that exists. So how about just sponsor everybody who's driven and ambitious? It's about individual behavior. Every single person needs to reflect on their winces, right? All the, all the times they've made those mistakes with people who are different, reflect on that. And instead of as really accomplished people do, brushing it aside as an anomaly, hold it at our core and say, I'm going to use this wince as a reason to never make this mistake again. And the second thing they can do is in every single circumstance where you Ooh, your antenna goes up because you know that someone's done something just a little bit, but you're afraid someone's going to call you politically correct. Forget that. That's the moment that you use your privilege and your power and your position, whether it's in HR or any other thing, to say, actually, no, that's not who we are. That's not how we behave. You address the minutiae, and that way you don't end up with me too. You don't end up with huge racist class action lawsuits but nobody wants to address the minutia because you don't get likes for it. You don't get hugs for it. It's just yeah. invisible hard work. But uh, something you said earlier, John, I think needs to complement what you've just said. I and mean, I agree with what you said, but something you said right at the beginning of the discussion was actually there needs to be an acceptance that racism exists, exists in society, and it exists here in this organisation. So I think we shouldn't forget the point that you started this discussion off with. Uh, that there's that acceptance that it's real and it's here and it may not be in the in the grossest forms uh, but like Bernadette was saying that those micro behaviors that we see in the workplace they have I think Bernadette was saying about that you're not clear that those behaviors it's the sheer ambiguity of whether it happened or not which creates the stress yep so Bernadette give it give us something to hold on to as uh, as we try and do better <laughs> I was just going to come to the point of the HR profession so I, I am proud to be an HR professional. However, we need to look at ourselves first as a profession. What is the ethnic diversity of the average HR profession? Let's start from there. What are we doing about that? So I think there's something for the HR profession. We are usually the gatekeepers of all this stuff. We are the people that go out to talk to the rest of the business. But you know, they usually, you know when I was little, they'll say, well, before you point, all the rest of the other fingers point back at you. What are we doing as a profession to actually look at the people who are helping the organisations, who are our leaders within the HR profession across the UK? What is the diversity like? What can we do within the HR profession? How can a CIPD hold some of the organisations to account or some way hold the mirror up to the profession to say, look, guys, if we're going to fix this, charity begins at home. Fantastic uh, point to end on. Worth pointing out, there's just a bit of further reading before we go. Race inclusion is a core area where the CIPD can help, as we've heard. It's got a raft of resources, recommendations for employers and government. Look online for the CIPD anti-racism hub tackling racism in the workplace. And I could do no better than 
quote a few headlines, build the business case for increasing diversity, identify levels of diversity with HR data and use them to explore barriers, review recruitment practices and career cliff edges and build an inclusive culture. There are a lot more Um, to which I might add, uh, learn to recognise your own privilege and listen to the experiences of black and ethnic minority people. They really do matter. On all our behalf, let me just thank uh, John Amechi, Bernadette Thompson and Bina Candola for a superb discussion for lending their wisdom to this debate. Next time we cover the topic, it'd be nice to think we were reporting on some real progress. From me, Nigel Cassidy and all of us at the CIPD, till next time, it's goodbye. Goodbye.